0: Today, Nate returns with his cohorts Eugene S. Robinson, lead singer of the art punk band Oxbow, and veteran entertainment attorney Alexi Auld to continue their discussion of Netflix's hip-hop evolution. This week, they look at The Dirty South, which covers the birth of the Atlanta hip-hop scene from Crisscross to Outkast. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy.
1: it's time to let it roll. I'm your host, <laughs> Nate Wilcox, joined once again by my comrades from the YouTube show, If the Shoes Fit, Alexi Old and cool. Eugene S. Robinson. Fellows, welcome. Thanks. Great For- to be here. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know about that, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another I'm here. Episode of yeah. We Dig Hip Hop Evolution, we've worked our way up to season three, episode four, The Dirty South. Oh. Finally, finally made it to Atlanta. And for my dollars, this is what the series does best. When it picks a region, goes through a historical arc, talks about structural forces, things like mixtapes and local labels and local scenes, and and there's two guys on here I'd never heard of before. They're totally regional guys from the, the 80s and, and early 90s that were not big at all, and yet the episode also features some of the biggest R&B. I don't think we've talked about
2: New Jack Swing at all in the hip-hop, have we? you can New jack swing from my nuts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was an Ice Cube line that has lived on an infamy in my mind. Every time I hear New Jack, I think, "Yeah, you can New Jack swing from my nuts."
3: <laughs> that and don't cute. forget, Tripod Quest. Uh, Q-Tip got punched in the face. I think we, I think we mentioned this some episodes back. Q-Tip was jumped by some guys because. In jazz, they say strictly hardcore tracks, not a new jack swing. And he didn't even say that; it was Fife who said it. He got allegedly like some blindness in his eye from it. That was a rumor on the street.
1: Ouch! Ouch!
2: So well, you no, imagine getting jumped like by by new jack guys? That's like like when John Legend said he would take care of me. He hey, have you
1: ever heard of the time uh, John Lennon mouthed off to? I think it was Engelbert Humperdinck or Tom Jones. One some of those rappers guys. stink, like Engelbert Humperdinck. And and the Humperdink is like, apparently pointed out, dude, I'm 6'5". Like, you're about to get killed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> My other favorite was like with uh, 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 Sid Vicious and Freddie Mercury almost got into it. And Freddie Mercury was like, let's go. Little did he know, Mercury used to box, right? So he was ready. Sid, so yeah. Sid back down. So. Hey, Eugene, well, get your ready. mic down Thank a little you. bit.
3: Could you put uh, your, oh, your, yeah, your mic up a yeah, little yeah. how's that there we go better yeah
1: he yeah. got his name because he couldn't fight his way out of a paper bag so johnny rotten's dad named him that anyway let's focus they start out with mc shy d who's the first atlanta rapper to really make a mark kid came
2: from the bronx moved and down still to the had Northern. accent
3: even to this day <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course you know and, and when uh, i get and, when i when i get drunk or tired brooklyn comes brooklyn. out too. So. Yep. or, a- or right. angry drunk tired or angry all three of those or things. aging as you age it's coming out more and more or also if i if i hang around other people from the east coast and 30 seconds later bing
1: Yep. just like when we hang out 10 minutes later you're from texas it's it's the way anyway. <laughs> yes So MC Shady tells the story of how, you know, him and his brother introduced DJing, breakdancing, all this stuff, two turntables. And everybody in Atlanta is like, what are these fools doing? And then over time, as he DJs at parties, he notices they dig the Miami Sound. They dig Egyptian Lover, uh, Pretty Tony from California. and But if he puts on Dougie Fresh, nobody dances in Atlanta. So he does a a fast song. Mind blown. Yep. Shake it. And and you know I listened to, I went back and listened to MC Shady and and uh, that's pretty fun stuff I've been on a Houdini kick lately that that pre golden age era is just sounding better and better to my ears any any commentary for me fellas Alexi you want to go first
3: hadn't heard of the dude he did sound very much like if back at that time if somebody said okay do a rap. You know, like he told that how he looked, how he sounded, everything, and that's even though I didn't recognize him, you recognize the style, you recognize the sound. You know, that was very, again, not as a put down, but very generic. Like that's what rap was. You know, at yeah,
1: that but time. with the Miami sound, I mean, I, I do think there was no. Oh one no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like in terms of Miami. his appearance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, but he had the little hat. It was a little different. His suit was a little different. Eugene. I, I I like I just like the whole transmission of of culture thing because I remember the summer of uh, seventy seven or no no it had to be the summer of seventy six and I was a lifeguard at a kids camp and that's where I was working with Jimmy Spicer Dollar Bill and he would he was like. Yeah, he came out with that record, Doll Dollar you all. And he so he was like, I can make anything rhyme. I go, This is a strange and crazy thing. Went back to Brooklyn after that. He, of course, he was from the Bronx. And uh I mean I, my friend Eric and Kyle went out to their basement and said, Hey, your parents have a turntable, right? So we got you know, we got some records, put it on, and we started started rapping, right? And it was like, uh it well, it at first I went first because I wanted to show them this thing I had been hearing. And they all like laughed at me, you know I mean? It was really rudimentary. It was like, I laid the plan for Spider-Man. I put the ass on Superman's chest. I wrestled with Hercules and swam across the seven seas, you know, stuff like this. But then we all started doing it. I was like, ah, man, this is like actually how culture gets Ideally, like transmitted, and so that the fact that he kind of fish out of water goes to Atlanta, you know, talks funny, looks funny. Was it like reminded me of the summers when I used to go to Maryland from Brooklyn, and people mm. would be like, What the fuck? What's what? Where you ball, would you go where to? You
3: huh? Where would you go in Maryland? Kensington. Ah, oh, okay.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's where my father lived at the time. My father and my sisters. So, uh, you you know, I thought that was a great story of perseverance because you you can't underestimate the fact that the locals were completely not into it. It's not like they were just not into it, but it was just so foreign, so strange. You really had to have some sort of intestinal fortitude to go, you know, and I'm sure he probably wasn't. I mean, you got to remember, if you're a black kid from New York City, having to go down South wasn't a blessing. Mm. It's usually what you did when you got in trouble, you know? Uh, you know, I used to get have a situation where they say, you know, you don't stop. I'm going to send you to go live with your father. Like Maryland for us was down South, you know? So, uh, um, so, or if you got in trouble with the law, whatever, your fo- or your folks couldn't hang or there was a divorce, you went back down South. It was like a punishment mm. detail. So the fact that he Or was for like, women that
3: got pregnant, right? Like, yep. you know, in teenager, they went down yep. South
2: yeah so he's he's gonna get hold on to his, his in new york city culture but then it did this complete kind of cross-pollination thing that was totally cool and I, again something i had i knew nothing about prior yeah to.
1: it was fascinating and there's two tidbits that they didn't tell us i thought were interesting one dude is africa bambata's cousin so he's oh. not just um, oh. corn pop from the bronx he's like corn bronx pop. hip-hop royalty <laughs> Uh, one or one, two steps away. Eugene was talking about swimming lessons. I started thinking about Joe Biden's leg hair. And, and <laughs> I, said, anyway. I, I
2: said lifeguard, lifeguard.
1: Well, lifeguard, exactly. And, and then he was also on Luther Campbell's label. So the Miami connection comes uh, very up- I don't know if they put out the single and then Luther picked him up, you know, digging the sound or not. But I don't know. Ever since we started doing this whole thing, I've really been digging the Two Live Crew, the techno sound, the early 80s sound. After Bandba, you know, this whole I've been on a big Houdini. Have cake you been shaking
3: so, it, Nate? <laughs> I think I think you know, oh, on the front
1: side above the belt buckle. It's, uh, it's it's a whole new thing. Shake I, what your you
3: mama know, gave me. <laughs> I can see Nate doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I had to I had to build this myself.
2: Mama gave me a a you know, six pack, but Anyway, then they. say you know, I would Kilo. say you know who was special Ed is somebody I thought they left out too. Yeah, they should have put. They should have put special Ed. I'm in.
3: not from France, but I eat French toast. <laughs> <laughs> I love
1: that.
2: I got, got
3: it. I French got it. French made. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yes, yes. 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 And then and then they switched to Kilo Ali, who was Kilo for his main career that they're talking about. He becomes Kilo Ali when he signs with a major label uh, in the mid to late '90s, but. Another kid I hadn't heard of. This was this was the guy. Like basically, uh, Shy D said, you know, I had to hit, but I never was really accepted in Atlanta because I was from the Bronx. They could hear it. I just was not local. Kilo was local. He was Mm -hmm. he was from, uh, you know, uh, the roughest neighborhood in Atlanta, and he's he's dropping the slang. The the crack wars have hit, and his single cocaine is just perfect. And and it is it is kicking. I've been enjoying this one, and his shit's hard to find actually. You've been enjoying cocaine, Uh, Nate. I, the, I've been enjoying the song. I've uh, never, yeah. never cared okay. for that substance. I, it, it does not agree with me whatsoever. Oh, stop it! No, it's seriously, like bacon I, soda.
2: I, he needs bacon soda.
1: Exactly. This shit never agreed with me. And if you're gonna stand friends.
2: up on the bar, you know, shirtless <laughs> with your hands on your waist, screaming, "I'll take you all on." That's the drug to do it with. <laughs>
3: did the guy kind of sounded like too short? That's what I thought when I heard him. Because I hadn't heard of yeah. him before either. And I was like, man, he really, his delivery and, you know, just reminded me of too short.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that with the Miami Miami uh back sound. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I dug it. Another classic, you know, these were cassettes that they were distributing locally. And I, and he was very upfront with a lot of hip hop back in the day was money laundering. And that that's what I was doing too, which made me kind of curious because he also bragged about selling sixty thousand dollars worth of records out of the trunk. I'm like, Well, who was doing the accounting there? <laughs> like, you know, because the whole point of money laundering is you inflate how much money you take in. Uh, to report to the authorities. So very interesting there, but definitely did have local hits and, and was a paragon yeah. of the local scene. But what they didn't talk about was this was... A, he had a national hit, not that one, but Nasty Dancer, I think, a couple of years later, was actually on the National R&B charts. He signed with Interscope in the mm. mid-90s. Yeah, I remember that. And yeah. then fucked it all up with a first-degree arson conviction. Oh, so oh. I don't know. White burned down, but...
2: Yeah. He, you know, you know, it. come on, come on, come on. Now, we don't know that he burned whatever he was arrested, tried, and convicted for burning down.
3: <laughs> I mean, he was I'm told on. he was trying to keep it real. He was trying to sow some kind of connection to New York, right? In, in, in homage. Maybe and when he you heard the it. roof, and we heard the roof was on fire, you know, <laughs> he thought, <laughs> yeah. put that into work.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, any any final thoughts on Keto Ali? No? No. No, no. Almost something said I,
3: I, Keto I, Ali, like it's a keto Kilo, time. So. Kilo, <laughs> also, come on. That.
2: No 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 no. I, you know, I I I'd like some real and again this would be like an addendum. It wouldn't make good TV, but something that if it, you know if this is going to live later on some website and you want to drill down, I'd like to see a real and actual accounting. I mean as a person who makes music myself, I'm always dying to know what the real figures were, you know. And I, and I got that there are lots of reasons for not divulging, but you know, for example, uh, say Kate, Pete Rock came up. My sister works with Pete Rock, and I said to her, you like what's Pete Rock doing? He says, eh, "Well, she said he's she's, he's producing some of my stuff." But then in, in one of our back and forth on twitter somebody was like pete rock is so huge in europe he's like jesus christ reincarnated in europe And it's like whoa so all all of us i mean so pete rock is rocking it who knew you know um and i remember once playing some shows in hamburg and being there and public enemy was like playing the stadium there in hamburg mm-hmm. i was like it's just so it's it's I'd like a real honest rendering of accounting, just to find out how people are making it. You know, and I mean, cool. if you, if, you, if if you haven't had a hit since 1987, and you're free in the middle of the day to talk to this Canadian hip hop guy for some special, you, I need to know what you're doing. Mm. I'm just curious. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, no, seriously, I'm just, I'm just. Oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, if you can make it work, I mean, why am I busting my nut with nine to that's five? That's bro. interesting about these, this series because it
1: appears that they film most of these people in their homes or in a home. And and yeah, there's and definitely seem, varying, varying, levels, yeah. varying levels of prosperity. You know, yeah, I noticed, yeah. I noticed um, most devs' cribs seem to be pretty plush. Yeah. But
2: Marley Marl's house or studio wasn't so nice. And well, because too, me, m- 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 most devs' place... It was built by TV and film mm-hmm. money, which is real yeah. money, right? Yeah, yeah. And, but in the 90s, there was real money in CDs and cassettes
1: and, and yeah. music. So, you know, hard to say. But let's keep moving. Then they talk about King Edward J, which I had definitely never heard of. Any of y'all ever heard no. of him? so nope. Oh. Very, very, very local dude. He was a guy who owned a record store in Atlanta, came from Florida, moved to Atlanta, owned a couple record stores. I love that guy's brought, story though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's, it's awesome. And he's currently a preacher and, and he made mixtapes and sold them. And then he started doing little personalized raps on the mixtapes. And apparently he was doing the thing where he would like too short did where he would do custom tapes mm-hmm. for people who paid him extra as well. And then, mm-hmm. and then he started having DJs and and other rappers come in and, and putting out full on mixtapes that, apparently sold quite a bit in the Atlanta area because they would not play the local hip hop on the radio, even the even on the hip hop show, the one hip hop show that they had would only play stuff from the East and West coast. So there was no exposure for the rappers except King Edward J's homegrown mixtape empire, which apparently he was selling tapes for $15 at 1375 back in the day. Damn. I know. It's like, you could get like a gatefold vinyl album for that or, or a double CD, like, you know, so um I mean that's half of a Led Zeppelin box set, you know. So it's it's serious, a serious cash to be dropping for a cassette. But um I don't know. The only thing any any commentary you guys got on that one? No.
3: I it was enjoyable. No. And again, I think that just echoing what you said before we get to the, the more mainstream portion is it was extremely enjoyable. And I don't know if it is because it was so alien to me right i had no knowledge of any of these guys and that's why it was enjoyable as opposed to other ones where you kind of know who the people are yeah. or you do yeah. know who they are and it's annoying because like what not so and so why do you have these clowns you know so this was really good i, I wish they had stuck to this kind of format
1: uh, yeah I, I do too in a way although they have to tell the narrative you're going to have to deal with like the biggies and the Tupacs and that kind of stuff that and the jiggy era that that dominated but the series is definitely at its best when it's focusing on a particular region and telling stories that we haven't heard. But then there's a major change, and they go to La Face Records, which yes. is L.A. Reed's and Babyface's label in partnership with Clive Davis's Arista Records. And, you know, Babyface was a big songwriter. Well, well, how did how, how, you pronounce that? Who? What? I, I Clive Davis? Arista. That's oh. Arista. I'm sure I said it wrong. How do you say you it? Ar- you said Arista. Arista. And it's Arista? Arista. It's Arista. I also yeah. say reprise records wrong, or I used to. Oh. Now I say reprise. I used to say a reprise. In Borger, Texas, we'd say, is that on reprise records? So <laughs> Yeah, cool. okay. 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 Blame, bl- so blame, blame your I'm town. Schooled, I'm schooled by blame my it Ivy it League. Blame town. Mm-hmm. Always. I'm a state state college man, Ivy Leaguers. Yeah. Yeah or West Coast Ivy League pretender, in your case, Eugene. But anyway, so now LaFace Records come to town. It's never been entirely clear to me why Reed and Babyface went to Atlanta. I mean, the the story is they smelled talent there. And, uh, you know, I think it was Reed that had the quote of, You know, when you come here, there's people doing things in new ways, people who haven't been around the industry very long, which is (laughs) good, which is like a shark (laughs) licking its lips, like a bunch of naive chumps that (laughs) can sign the owner's contracts, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but
2: if you actually make the move and are committed to living there, then I say good on you, though, you know?
1: Oh, and it worked out. It was a (laughs) win-win-win and a big win for Atlanta, And, and as we'll get in the second half of this episode, it leads directly to the explosion and, and, and hip hop in Atlanta. I mean, all this stuff with the regional scene is fine and dandy, but you know, there's big doings coming down the road here in a second. And it took these guys a little bit, like I, I liked the guy who was talking about how they were signing people with Jerry curls and, and all these eighties acts at first. And it took them a bit to to get hip to the nineties and, and find the talent. But then they signed TLC and and
2: sure. I, I I love how, how TLC was like, what was that, that line from uh, uh song? They were treating him like a wet food stamp. They didn't want it. they didn't want to have anything to do with him. Yeah, it was like, it's so obvious post facto, but it's like, you know, when you hear something crazy, like they were going to get George Pappard to play Michael Corleone, you just go, who was, who was in charge of the studio then? What, what were you thinking? I mean, TLC just would never not seem like a good idea to me, you know? Yeah. But I mean, the fact that she tells what her
1: mother-in-law who's cutting Pebbles' hair, hey, tell Pebbles about me and my group. And Pebbles calls her back the next night. It's like, how hard up was this record company? Like, I mean, did they have a tape? Did she hear a tape first or just get word that there's three girls who can sing? I don't know. But anyway, it turns into TLC, which obviously becomes totally massive and huge although it it takes a tiny bit to get there but one thing i want to get into is that this whole thing especially with atlanta becoming the hub of the dirty south dirty south sound totally ruling hip hop for the you know in the 2000s atlanta has always punched well below its weight musically like seriously this you know they talk about how it's the mecca of the south the hometown of mlk it's one of the largest cities in the south one of the biggest african american cities in the country and yet look at the history of african american music in this country and it's not even in the top five of most important cities. I mean, obviously you got New York and L.A., both massive uh, yep. cities for for jazz and R&B. Then you got Sorry. Detroit with Motown, and and I mean, case closed there. Memphis way ahead with sax yep. Records and yep. Sun Records, yep. and and, Hall and Wolf and the Blues and all that stuff. And New Orleans with the birthplace of jazz and and you yep. know all the crazy jazz stuff, the Meters and the Neville Brothers and all that stuff. Atlanta like the biggest Georgia artists I could think of Otis Redding who went to Memphis, James Brown, who went to Cincinnati, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Athens with REM had a bigger musical footprint than Atlanta oh, going into the nineties, I mean, Yeah, you know, so it, it's interesting that these cats decided to come to Atlanta and make something of the music scene and actually succeeded. Although I do not think they intended to take over the, the hip hop world, but just a yeah. little digression there, but so then we, we turn our attention to Jermaine Dupri, yeah. who uh, was was uh, who I uh, had heard of, um, although definitely learned more about him than I knew. He was a, started out as a kid dancer, danced and, and danced into hip hop. Yeah, was of was yeah, was yeah was son did, of an executive,
3: though that's the thing. He's a son uh, of an executive. Yes, yep,
1: yep. that's right, right. So yeah, you know, yeah, this was a kid whose dad would get it him. Kind of hinted at that lives.
3: during it, yeah. but like it was. That's why Houdini was like, "Oh
1: yeah, he's a great dancer," you know. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but he was on tour and he had to have you know carried his weight. No, no, I'm not. Definitely... No, I'm not saying he wasn't good. I'm not yeah. saying that
3: at all. It's just you know, it, it's yeah. not like it's just some kid from the middle of nowhere who gets in there. And they finally had Houdini. I was like, "Oh, is this their Houdini segment?" Like it's, know, you know, it was I really know. kind of sad.
1: It Plain was, especially living the recent passing of ecstasy. And, and I saw some documentary about a German producer who was big with Kraftwerk and all these guys, and he produced one of the Houdini albums. Mm-hmm. And they were actually – the movie was made by the guy's kid, and everybody was being a dick to the kid because apparently the dad had been really totally awful. Not horrible to the kid, but German and distant and made fun of him. And Houdini were super sweet. like It, it, it actually kind of made me reclimped. And then when ecstasy passed away, so yeah, it was it was kind of – uh, bittersweet seeing Houdini on there, but I was glad to get in there. But then, this is the guy who discovers crisscross, and I love his story. I'm at the mall, and there's these two kids that all the girls are treating like they're the Beatles, and they're giving them free cookies at the cookie store, and and oohing and holler. And I'm like, who are y'all? What do y'all do? And they're like, we don't do nothing, Jack. And, and he's like, you need to make a record.
3: But you know what? I wonder if he was aware of Maurice Starr with New Edition and then with New oh, Kids on the Block. Course, because that's exactly – Maurice Starr like had the cops uh, uh, on his butt because they thought he was a pedophile because he was patrolling <laughs> playgrounds for who are the popular – I'm getting the most popular kids and I'm putting them yeah. in a band together.
1: Ah, I didn't yeah. realize that was part of his gambit. Yeah. I just to the show with Maria Sherman on boy bands. I thought he was more like finding the talented ones. And, and I think he did for a new edition
3: and new edition. He started with that. But by the time it, he understood by the time new edition was stolen from him, he's like, if I have to do this again, I'm doing it with white boys. And yeah. I'm going to <laughs> like, he totally had the plan down and was, yeah, and and was he, patrolling he, those and playgrounds. He,
1: did it twice. <laughs> I mean, one of the very few business managers to, to have two massive successes. But Jermaine Dupree, he had other successes, but Crisscross is by far his biggest success and massive. Like they say in the show, touring with Michael Jackson, Jump was a massive number one hit. Uh, Everyone else smiled at I, that I, one when
3: they said, Michael Jackson, we sort of like this. Like, uh, I'm sure I, I he did. He really took a liking to us. It was like,
2: oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> even, I know, even, I know. Even, even beyond that, though. The, the section I liked the best was where they say they got grown ass men to wear their clothes backwards. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever tried to put your pants on backwards. It's really unpleasant, man. So that they actually got people to do this It's like that that is a miracle of modern marketing. They got people to put their clothes on fucking backwards. And that's, it's not that's, that's that's baller. Uh,
1: we went and partied at Prairie View A&M in Texas, which is a, you know, historically black college, and every fool was wearing that shit. We were just like, you know, I mean, we knew we were corn cowboys anyway, and, like, nobody gave a shit what we were wearing, but we were just like, are y'all serious mm-hmm.
2: with this shit? Like... It's <laughs> yeah. tough, man. It's to Try having to go to the bathroom with your clothes on backwards, you know? So... Yeah. yeah. So, Mad- anyway, so,
1: Chris Cross, you know, I mean, hats off. the dude. The dude scored, and jump, I think, holds up pretty well. I mean... It you know. does
2: it does you know for, for, especially for considering coffee. especially considering there was another song jump well, they had jump around right. with house of pain that came out pretty soon after that and they both like stood the test of time so
3: yep and relatable i think yep. also yep. the thing and about very, chris and cross and was was that they were kids being kids and that's what was endearing at the time was endearing about watching them was it wasn't like another bad creation who you know they were like it's funny because they built their reputation against another bad creation, which is the old school way of doing it in rap, which is you're the new sheriff in town. You're taking down whoever's on top. You're taking them down. You're gunning for them. Like literally the record was they were playing Playground and then scratched the record and had their song, you know, and Inside Out is Wiggy 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 whack. So, you know, it's so it's that kind of era, you know, that's kind of lost with the puffy thing that we're going back weeks ago. You know, Um, you know, this is before, you know, you you were ha- you couldn't hate on people, you know, so.
1: Yeah, and, and so it's gentle, but they'd still, they still—they left a couple of things out. One that their second album came out only a year later, but their voices had changed, and they'd both grown That's about right. six seasons. So you—they definitely got kicked out of Neverland. You know, it's like yeah. the that that and, and the album went gold, but they would never never came close to this again. And then yeah. Mac Daddy OD'd in 2013 yep. at the age of 34. Yep. So what was and maybe mean? he would have. I don't know. What is that? I was assuming cocaine, or no, a,
3: cocaine. Yeah, it's a mix with Coke. And I, I just saw it this morning. Speedball. There's a mix of some.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Nothing anybody, good for him. Anybody's a superstar at 12. By the time they hit 34, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're in full alfalfa from the little rascals yeah. having a razor fight at the boarding house kind of. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, it it paints a sad picture, but who knows what would have happened if he hadn't. And hell, I never had a number one hit record or, you know, toured with Michael Jackson. Maybe that's a good thing, but, you know. So that's the first half of the show. We've got, coming up, we got the Goody Mob, the Dungeon What about the Brat?
3: The Brat was in this this
1: second too. The
3: first first solo female rapper that went platinum.
1: Yep. I thought that was Lil' Kim. Nope. No, it was DeBrad, huh? And that was another Jermaine Dupri artist. And she was talking. And did you notice who else was talking at the very beginning of this episode, but didn't come back, they didn't come back to him at all, was Speech. From Arrested uh, Development. Yes, I like that. I like that. I like that. And, I mean, talk that, is about that is weird. That is weird. Grace, because I had forgotten them, but then looking back, they like, were big back them, then. I mean, Mr. They, they were as yeah, insufferable you... as
2: counting crows. Oh, of course. I, yeah.
1: yes, I mean, course. they were really? crash test dummies bad by the time, you
2: know? Like, Although. But, then he, but, the, but then he had some problem. Wasn't there a problem? That was like well, the counter to their. Totally no, no, I, I could be wrong about this, but I thought there was some domestic violence thing that was very much counter to their mm-hmm. counter to their brand. What I could be wrong. Image. Oh, that's you right, because you- he
3: because in the song he stood up to. Uh, uh, it said an, an an N word getting beaten up by an African, right? Because yeah, that's was, right, right. A guy dressed up like NWA, and I'm not an Ice Cube, but I had to put the brother down for being rude, right? So yeah, he could, totally. He, could say,
2: he, he, yeah, he said something, but yeah, so the, but I could have that wrong, but I remember that the, the fall from grace was ironic.
3: But the thing is, there was a show that came out maybe ten, fifteen years ago called "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time," in which they took all of these older groups and had them perform on stage and battling one another doing contemporary songs, right? And Arrested Development was on there and the people went crazier for them than any other, like hmm. they had boy bands up there. They had like people that, you know, had, you know, comparable level, if not greater level hits, people lost it for Arrested Development. I was like, damn. Hmm. And so that's why, I'm, mean, you know, again, like in terms of how big they were, you know, at the time, again, Insufferable, yeah. I was not a fan but they were huge, and that's one of the reasons why I was not a fan. They you know, I didn't think they you know, they're too huge.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were on MTV constantly with counting yeah. crows, like back to back. That with that
3: crows. old that old black guy too. Remember, it's like this is Baba So and so and he's like yeah. yeah, and
1: also they came from Wisconsin <laughs> and then moved to Atlanta. At least some of them came Aww. from Wisconsin and moved to Atlanta. So, you know, uh No, but I mean, I'm talking about that's why they're only barely in this episode. Like, it's not like they built the Atlanta scene in the streets or whatever. Anyway, but when we come back, Outcast, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm hold your breath.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors. Operation Hotel, Moments' until tight
2: still off They'll say it's you should be my least Got deal W2, that
1: in my and, and we're back. We've been discussing how the Atlanta hip hop scene evolved over the 80s and the 90s, how LaFace Records came to town. And now we're going to connect the dots because we're going to talk about the big, the two key Atlanta hip hop acts that LaFace Records brought to national prominence Outkast and The Goody Mob aka the dirty south fellas general thoughts on this section of the episode organized noise Alexi I'm
3: a huge fan of organized noise huge fan of outcast um so much so I'm choking up just talking about it. and <laughs> uh, fans of the goody mob as well but not so much you know as as outcast but uh I love the episode it was good to actually see what was going on in a part of the u.s i mean i've been to atlanta before but not, not knowing really atlanta so it was it was a great i think uh eye opener
2: you <clears throat> Jeff, I, I i had you know the thing is i remember being tuned in when everybody was going oh my god outcast 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 and i was like all right all right all right now let me get southern player listening. and then i you know i got it and i was like what the what? There are a few times in my life that's happened to me. Like I remember the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones, the Rolling Stones. And when I finally heard the Rolling Stones, I was 14 years old. I mean, I heard them on the radio growing up. But when I actually, I got a record, like, listen, I was like, eh, eh, eh. It took a while. Mm-hmm. It took a while. And uh, yeah, I've come around on Outcast. And the reality of it is, you know, being able to, it took a while for me to my ear to get ready, to get my head, to get ready went back listed. And then, so now as a huge outcast fan, going back and seeing the start, which I was completely ignorant of before it was, it was, it was really pretty nice and, and made me appreciate them a skosh uh, more even, you know?
1: Yeah. And I thought it was interesting. Like they talked about TLC and they talked about how TLC introduced organized noise to to pebbles who was their hookup with yep. the face records, but they don't talk about how organized noise
2: produced waterfalls, which is TLC's right. definitive song. So I, I thought that was well, like- been coming up, coming up in my head a lot too. And it was nice to see him in the Dallas, Austin. Yep. Uh, yeah. Um, he, and apparently he's still bent out of shape over the relationship that he lost. Right. I can't remember one of those the TLC girls he, he had been with. I think it was chilly. Thing, yeah. Truly. And, and you know, the thing is I was compl- again, You know, when I was the editor-in-chief at EQ Magazine, I had the occasion, I think I put him in the issue like two or three times, maybe even put him on the cover. And it wasn't until seeing this Canadian-produced hip-hop evolution that I was like, oh, man, this guy who used to write for me was like a giant, (laughs) you know, a giant. (laughs) I'm just like, hey, man, when are you you going to get me that stuff in by Tuesday? I uh... And now you know, and now you know.
1: Another thing well, they yeah, left out.
2: Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just saying it's enough. too late for me to actually go back and act like I already knew. <laughs> but I mean, you know, he 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 and I he and I are kind of friendly now, so it's like it's all right. It's it's where it's supposed to be now anyway, so that's all right. So
1: well, that's that's good. The other thing that they left out about organized noise and 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 they're we're talking about organized noise first because they gave him yeah. the big section the cartoon yeah. with the, the title and everything. They they left out that they they actually left the face records for Interscope after they, they did the waterfall song for TLC and apparently went out to LA and just partied it up and had to, had to walk away from $17 million because <sighs> they were not delivering. Interscope was wanting them to clone waterfalls. They wanted to do, you know, outcasts and goodie mob type stuff. And, and apparently the young fellas were partying it up pretty hard in LA and had to, had to come back to Atlanta, $17 million poorer than they thought they were at first. Hey,
2: and then, the, no, go ahead. I have, I uh, I, this is a guy who I know, and I'm not going to mention his name because he doesn't need the, the widespread ridicule, but he got his first check from a record label was $950,000. And so he goes over to the bank and says, give me my $950,000. And the bank was like, yeah, we... we you know, we're a bank, but we don't we don't we don't do that. We don't have nine hundred fifty thousand dollars here to give you, man. So he goes back to the record label and it's a big LA record label and rips the place up. As he's screaming, the check you gave me was a lousy check. It was a grab you guys robbed me, you ripped me off. And they're like, No, no, no. You 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 have to have a bank account at the bank, first of all. It's not like a and he's like, Oh, oh, okay, okay, sorry. So he gets a bank account. He goes to the bank. They give him his money. He doesn't know about taxes. <sighs> so at a certain point, he gets dinged for, for you know, $450,000. He goes back to the record label and rips the joint up again and gets kicked out of the group that he was in. And, but he's still got $550,000. The question is, how long did that last? with somebody who didn't know about taxes or bank accounts and likes to party. How long? Just a guess. How long do you think that lasted? $550,000. Uh,
1: which member of Insane Clown Posse are we talking about?
2: <laughs> I said I would not <laughs> mention who it was.
3: And when you say party, you talk about partying?
2: Yeah. A- anything and everything. Uh, 18 months. Three and a half months. A month. A month. Wow. A month and a month. Wow. Wow, wow. Anyway, sorry for that digression. Oh, that, yeah, no, I no, could,
1: it's, it's, it's on topic. that's that's yeah. why so many business music business executives look at musicians as prey, as yeah. chum, as chumps, just, yeah. you know, yeah. Yep. just just there for the fleece.
3: They'd spend yeah. the money anyway. They don't know what to do with it. Why waste exactly. it on them
2: when my kids well, need to in, go to school, you know, private schools? <laughs> hey, hey. at 19, I might have done the same thing. Actually, yeah. no, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> I've yeah. always appreciated no. the value of a dollar. You know? indeed, indeed.
1: And then uh, two final things about organized noise before we move on to Outcast. One, they they didn't talk about how little they use samples. Like, this is one of the first hip hop production crews that largely use live instruments. They talk about that a little bit, but they don't really get into, into that. And I think they talked about uh, with the ghetto Kings, the UGK, they talked about them using live instruments and they didn't really make a big point out of that. But that to me is one of the key things about the dirty South sound is, is the live instruments along with the turntable scratching and the drum machines. And that's you- the
3: thing, right? They did the combination of the turntable scratching and and uh, live instruments. And the thing about them that I always found refreshing was, unlike – the roots and other groups like that was like look you see it's actual musicians playing music mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like playing to that whole rolling stone bs like well ll cool j performed once again with just a, a boom box and these uh <laughs> these 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 rappers right so yeah. organized noise never played into that whole well the difference between us and these other groups is we actually have musical instruments that are played by musicians you know so yeah. they, they 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 didn't play that card so that's what we're
1: and also stuck to their guns with the drum machine so you know yes. I, I think they used live drum some but largely but to me the thing that really stuck out the first time i heard i think it was goody mob i heard first was the singing was how much singing there was and both yeah. outcasts and goody mob um, you know, added a lot of singing to it. But then the other thing I want to mention is there's a documentary on organized noise that I saw when it mm. came out. And now I cannot find it anywhere. It's not on Netflix. You can't get a DVD. The only place I could find a DVD, which is obviously a bootleg, was some Pakistani site that'll sell you the DVD for 15 bucks, but then it's a $60 shipping charge. I thought so.
3: I'd sell you some viruses too while you're visiting their site. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. You want some oh, viruses with
2: that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, they say, they yes. say hey, look, everything. I I swore to God, an email, an email that I sent in 2004. I found it on the web today. Somebody's made a PDF of it. So you could go scroll, you turn pages and it's like, that's kind of. This must be some email yeah 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 it's it's it, you know yeah it's uh, it was a funny it was funny it was funny I mean it's not anything I'm gonna go to jail for it was funny, but it was like, yeah man the web, it's not a friend, no no
1: no, i hope I hope it wasn't like the time I told the guy to get cancer, which seemed you know funny at the time but I, totally. say that so, totally. I
2: say that so often that it wouldn't draw any notice if people were to put that. Out. I usually wish people to get ass cancer, which oh. is uh, uh, comical, you know, given my recent health issues. Uh, yes,
1: yes. So it's a very serious issue. And, you know, uh, uh, I'm not even going to bring up the name of the famous beloved actress who died of that. Because it's just, yeah, yeah it would seem unseemly. But anyway, turn to Outcast. Yeah. So, yeah. They introduce organized noise, which sets the setting for Outcast, And they've got a great quote from one of the organized noise guys um, that I think it was Rico Wade, who's like, we've got the hookup, we've got the production team, we've got the chops, all we need is some MCs. And they knew exactly what they were looking for. We want some high school guys that are pretty young boys that are malleable. And they don't really go into it on the show this much, just how much they molded uh, Big Boy and Andre three thousand. You know they talk about how the how the the kids get off the bus. They they start rapping for them. An organized noise at this point is nobody. I mean, like the dudes literally working. What is it uh, uh, at at a, at a laundry or a clothes yeah, clothes yeah, shop? Yeah, yeah, But but you know, as soon as these kids start rapping for them, they're like, boom! These are the guys. Let's get them together. And they mention how we're going to mold them, but they don't really go into the show. Like apparently, the first year or so they were working with with Big Boy and Andre they would just take the red pins to their raps and just mark it out. And, and it was a big emphasis on elevating the game and being artists, not just being rappers, not just, just, you know, dropping bars and not just bragging, but we want you to tell a story and we want you to tell a story with a point and some meaning. And so, you know, dramatically elevated the game. So when Rico Wade, I think he's the one that talks about how we're going to mold these kids they really did. They really, but did. but
3: the funniest funny thing you said that because the thing that really blew my mind when I first heard heard Southern playlists of Cadillac Music was one, the the um because before he was Andre three thousand, right? like Andre, it, it, there still was such a stylistic difference between the two. Right. And so that was fascinating to see two guys. Between Andre and Big Boy. Between Andre and Big Boy. So to see those guys who really worked well together, but they were two totally different people and different kinds of styles. And I can't recall the song, but there was a line when Andre was talking and lamenting the fact that he has to rap about a certain kind of gangster lifestyle because that's what they want him to do. And he yep. doesn't want to do that. But if that's what he has to do to have a record deal, that's what he will do. And I remember listening to a lot. I was like, well, What I mean, they – they left this on the album. They just totally left it on there where he's saying like, yeah, hey, I'll rap about this because that's what I'm supposed to be rapping about. I'd rather not, but that's why I have this record deal and if this is what I have to do even though I don't want to rap about it. And it wasn't, it was not ironic at all. It was just, its like a cry for help, you know.
2: Well, well there have been, been, been a few people who have done that actually, but now, I, you know, the funny thing is, I, I, I just, I, as hard as I might try, I can't get the Key and Peele skit uh, out of my head where they did Andre three thousand and Big Boy, <laughs> did you have I've you, seen, have you seen this? Oh, oh. my God! You, you, How uh, did I miss this? You need to you need to see it. It's it's uh, it's it's a, a, a loving send up of the two of those uh, meeting in a coffee shop.
1: Very <laughs> as as superstars, like modern day Big post
2: their success. Oh okay,
1: yeah yeah yeah. And that's another thing that they left off. They talk about you know Players Ball and the first album, but they don't talk about the whole stankonia and and the massive massive success of speaker box and love below and 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 I, which is fine because like the series is about the development of scenes and it's much more interesting i think to start to talk about artists when they're coming up but since we're still dealing with ptsd from the whole jiggy era i'm kind of mm. like you know isn't the pop success of outcast more of an uplifting story than the pop success of puff daddy i mean because there well, was a yeah. lot more to it you know i mean it, I could, like I could, I, yeah was just- I, 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 was I think their, involve-
2: their, their involvement with Slick Rick, I would have talked about as well. Uh, you know, he had behind uh, 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 rulers back and. Uh, uh, b- Something, uh, uh what was it about? Bars, be, uh, oh, behind, bars. Behind, be behind, yeah. behind bars, I'm uh, feeling uh, yeah. sad, back and, those, and those kind of didn't do very well. And then they said, Screw it, I gotta make some money. And they did art of storytelling. And one of the big contributions to that were uh, Big Boy and Andre 3000, uh, you know, did a uh, and all of a sudden now Slick Rick is back to selling you know platinum again. So, um, I, I would have they, they missed a number of different opportunities as well as. You know him being the, the the progenitor of of this kind of storytelling rap, and that's why he had them on it. And so, so I just I, I would have appreciated that. I could have I could their success. I could live without that, but again, another opportunity to mention Slick Rick and not mention mm. and not add, yeah, it kind of irked me. But it's it was a small. I wonder
3: if they have a beef with Slick because like I mean, even when they eventually had they eventually had uh, Houdini in there, as we talked about the last you know the last time when they first introduced things. So I was like, oh okay, maybe this is why they didn't have them earlier because they had them in there, and this is how they're going to you know they're going to talk about Houdini being big. But for Slick Rick, on, on the Reddit AMA
1: uh-huh. on the Reddit AMA, both of them mentioned Slick Rick and EPMD as artists that they really regretted not getting in there and and so I, I really still think that they because I, I feel like they had to squeeze in NWA in the first season and once they yeah. did that then then they had to squeeze out Houdini and that whole you know, cool that whole second generation of, of hip hop in New York. And I really wish they'd had an episode. Man, they had freestyle fellowship.
3: That. Okay. Enough said like the fact they had a graphic just, and they Netflix had a large in, ass Netflix segment in, on freestyle yeah, yeah. fellowship. No, sorry. They could have creatively I know, I know. done something with slick Rick. That episode is like, while this was going on, we need to go back and talk about the person that inspired all these guys. <laughs> slick Rick, you know, come on, man. They, just...
1: they wanted to get, all ciphers and the open mic thing, and and you know, I, I, you again, know I don't, I'm yeah.
3: not buying. Yeah. I am not buying the apologies for overlooking Slick Rick and EPMB. I'm sorry, I that's can, some bullshit. I, can, yeah. I think they were. I think that they are like, oh, who? EP? Now what's that? E.P. Uh, uh-huh. They didn't. They didn't play that in Ottawa. that's the E.P.M.B. and uh, what?
1: <laughs> Slick Rick. Who's that? Uh, you will not let the Canadian. I won't
3: go. because oh. it's 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 a glare. The fact that you Eugene brought it up again, and when you bring it up it's again, true. it just makes you realize just how ridiculous it is. It's
1: true, and and leaving out Dougie Fresh, Slick Rick's original partner of the E.M.B. box, like that whole. Yeah, oh, you know, they could they could have got the Fat Boys in there oh, as well. Oh. Yeah, ah, yeah. let's keep moving on because this was this wasn't the yes, yes, yes. So then they do uniquely they do a whole section on Southern of Cadillac music. Um but first we should talk about players ball because because there's controversy to this day whether or not um LaFace records, whether or not Babyface shot them down only once. And they don't even go into this. But LaFace mm-hmm. turned them down, said so these guys are gifted. It's great music, but I don't see them as stars. And supposedly mm-hmm. They did a showcase a few months later after they had really taken that to heart and, and the organized noise guys had really made them work on their stage show and everything, and they do a showcase with their hometown crowd. And suddenly L.A. Reid is like, ah, I get it. These guys are stars. They're signed to the deal. And then the Christmas album thing happens, which they discuss. You know, Face Records is doing a Christmas album. This is your first shot. But there's some schools that say this was their only shot that they Mm. had a blank space on the Christmas album and just were like, okay, you know, give you guys a chance, a chance, as in like we're setting you guys up to fail. And OutKast is just one of those groups that like, there is no failure in that narrative, you know, Mm. like, like so many groups and performers fail on the first shot, second shot, third shot. OutKast is one of these groups that first single, boom, massive hit and blows yeah. up it, it lives way beyond the christmas album and i thought that was funny though the way they told it in this with the christmas thing like you know rico wade going a christmas song you know how did you feel about that Fuck. Yeah, yeah, you, know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and he knew the history of Curtis Blow and, and christmas and hollis from run dmc and everything but still you know that sucked but then as soon as it's a hit the record company turns on the dime is like now we need an album and, and that's where they bring in the Dungeon Family and they talk about all hands on deck. And that's how they kind of introduce the Goody Mob, because the whole Dungeon Family crew gets in there, is writing bars, contributing, you know, CeeLo Green and company are all contributing to that first Outkast album. And then from there, then they introduce the Goody Mob, which is set up basically just as a classic, like if Outkast is the Beatles, the Goody Mob is the Rolling Stone. Like what was the vision? It was outcast, but edgier. That was that was kind of the vision—more political, more street, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Eugene, did you
2: have no, no, sad? no, no? I'm no. just agreeing, agreeing. I, I had I had the kind of uh, you mentioned the first shot out. I know a guy who, uh, after Ian Curtis from Joy Division killed himself, record labels thought that they would continue with Joy Division and they would find a new singer. And this guy had his audition shot. Uh, in front of all these label people and um, second song in he fell off the stage because he, he was super drunk because he was nervous, fell off the stage and knocked himself unconscious and that was the end of his shot as a possible singer for the Joy Division. Man.
1: And this and
2: has name to do with... Was Eugene S. Robinson. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, this that, was, that, was,
3: that was his one shot. Yeah, having the shot.
1: Yeah, yeah, that shot. that 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 is more often than not. That's what happens yeah. with people's shot. And and the Goody Mob, they talk about their first album, which is an acknowledged classic. I think it had three three hits, uh, popularized the term the Dirty South, introduced the term the Dirty South. But they don't talk about how you know Outcast has this vertical traje- trajectory. Goody Mob's um, first album delivers. The second album charts really high to start which to me is always a sign that you had a really good album previously. Yep, like yep. If, you're, if, if your first album you know kills it, your second album's going to chart really high. It's because people have been really digging album. And I've, I've had this argument with some friends for years as to whether or not it was the second album being weak, which caused the third album then to underperform, or whether it was the third album being so weak that it just died and CeeLo Green quitting. But they don't go into any of that. But it's like Outkast and Goody Mob have completely
2: opposite career trajectories after the first album so thoughts on this I've never been. I've never been a big. Uh, I've never been a big goody mob guy. I've just been soft on them. I, I think part of it is probably my first exposure was not that first record, you know. And even when it came down to watching the show and thinking, listen, I need to give these guys a, a secondary shake and go back and listen to that first record, I couldn't really bring myself to get more than halfway through. It just something about them, you know. And then, I, then I mean, then they, of course, they ended up having some, some. Uh, weird controversy that uh, now, uh, later about this kind of homophobic stuff, and then I go, I don't know that that would have affected me super much, but I don't, know, I just I, for some reason I don't know, just was not not into that man.
3: At the time, I liked, the, I was into the Goodie Mob because I, I think going into it's the post Jiggy era. I was a huge fan of Outcast. I liked Silo's mm. rap and oh. Get, Get Out, Get Out. I mean, Get Up, Get Out. Uh, he just has such a bizarre. And when you hear someone that just has a bizarre and unique voice, that's just totally not typical or what anyone is, whether it's even though lyrically, there's no comparison, you know, really, because easy to write his raps but you know it's that's like the easy voice right just when you hear that voice like the fuck is this right and CeeLo Green has that same quality of you yeah. know of, of his voice and it's timber and the thing that's interesting about him though is the rant that he engaged in on uh that album about black people we are not natural born killers or spiritual people and but like you know for somebody to come out you know at that time and just draw a line in the sand and, and try to reinforce certain kinds of notions at the mm. time that really mm. resonated with me, you know, as a person who mm. was not a big NWA fan, as more of a conscious kind of, you know, uh, a rap yeah. fan. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And to me, um, that album, I actually had that album before I got into Outcast. I didn't get into Outcast until Stankonia. Cause I had, mm. I had dropped yeah. out. Like I was not, checking out new stuff very much and goody mob was just randomly my ex-roommate had that tape in the car playing when we were going somewhere and i was like i remember that song the dirty south really made a big impression and CeeLo definitely stood out and you know CeeLo. then the other thing they don't talk about is gnarles barkley yep. which has this massive hit in the 2000s with CeeLo green and danger mouse that we've talked about before on here um which is totally different production style i mean radically different you know it's it's <laughs> Separated from Goody Mob by 10 years, but to me, it's like 15 or 20 years. And he went mainstream,
3: totally mainstream, you know, it, then yeah. it was on the voice and then fell off because of the rape allegation.
2: So. Yeah. Yep. And I, yep. the year that the year they broke big, Norris Barkley broke big, was like probably one of the last times I played uh, South by Southwest and you knew something was going on. Because that sticker that said Charles Barkley cut with the gun, you know, mm. it was it, it was way more places than any indie band could have managed to get it. Man, it was mm. like, and I, it just it smelled like big money to me. And I, I don't have I don't have anything against big money, but it was for sure, you know, coming to South by Southwest trying to see like where does indie is like nah, not for a second that I believe that. So it was nice to hear that it was him, you know, and and uh, Danger Mouse. so.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that was definitely an era in South by when it was not about struggling new bands. This was very yeah. much the industry showcase and and the
3: Sundance went through the same thing where it had been a yeah. point where it was an indie place that then all of a sudden it was for you know A-list celebrities and their yeah. independent yeah. projects.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and 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 you know, frequently there will be a great movie or a great band that's the subject of this hype, but it's
2: cooked in in advance, like yep. you say. No, like they, 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 know they, they, they undo it by then having like the keynote speaker be Jeff Bezos, you yeah. know, or... I
1: oh, mean. yeah, I mean, they've undone South by many times. But when, when Niles Barkley broke it, it was, yeah, yeah, it maybe, was clicking yeah. on all cylinders, and and I it hadn't it been like that Ray, long. Ray
2: Davis, I think Ray Davis was probably the speaker that year, which was all right. That was all right. I'm a, I'm a Kings fan, so that was all right.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, and right, right a character. But we're we'll, we're well off topic. Any final <laughs> thoughts on Dirty South, Goody Mob, Outcast?
3: Good. I mean, I, I think know, I, you course. know, the, I, I would say that Outcast. The interesting thing about them is Outcast totally for me came out the blue with their first album. I didn't think I enjoyed it as much as I did. To this day, I think it survives the test of time. I also remember mm-hmm. that there was you know, friends of mine from all different parts of the country in diff- into different kinds of rap, like almost universally loved OutKast. Or, uh, and especially Big Boy. Like I remember there was a friend of mine that was a fan, uh, you know, from LA. And he was like, man, when he's talking about like, the top rapper, he's like, that dude from OutKast, Big... I said, well, I don't know, Big Boy, like what he's saying. And it's true, like it's so... Huge fan of that. Goody Mob liked him as well. I'm glad they had something focused on a different area of the U.S. that I didn't know as much about. So I thought it was a very enjoyable episode.
2: Yeah, I yeah. got to tell you, my my, my 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 favorite Big Boy memory, and and this is like, it's it was completely cheesy, but it really it it forced me just to love the guy. like I, I was in some place like idly like watching some somebody else's house. And they had TV on. They had MTV on. And then they had MTV uh, on. Cribs. yes, yes, yes. So and at, 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 at several odd points during the tour, he's giving up his place. He just stops. He looks right in the camera and says, don't try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, which I, I love, which is like, yeah, I'm a celebrity. I'm my t- I mean, especially when you hear that, like, that it, there, there's, there's an unspoken belief that the reason why uh, Henry Rollins' roommate got shot to death in L.A. in their apartment was because of Rick Rubin. Yeah, not, not, I mean, Rick Rubin didn't do the shooting, but Rick Rubin had come to visit them in his fricking Rolls Royce, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, and and they were joking about it. They had to say, "Yeah, I think I bet we're going to get robbed now." And. You know, you can't be did. rolling up at a Rolls Royce in the hood without people thinking that you got inside the house. No. But and uh, Big Boy and also he, had that
3: moment, too, where he was yeah. uh, donating money in, in Africa and, like, he was riding around and he was giving dollars and they started shaking him down. I was like,
2: damn, y'all shaking me down!
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And another yeah. thing about Big Boy... Same
2: way. Don't don't try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, But they always
1: talk about Andre being the eclectic one and the artsy one etc etc and big boy's always been the guy that keeps it more street as the more you know kind of the five dog of the group but he's also the kate bush fan like big boy yeah. is a very eclectic yes. dude yeah, and he yeah. wrote and sang a lot of the hooks on yeah. their songs it's not just like like andre would come in with the melody and the hook and and then big boy would deliver the verses although they did that plenty of times but plenty of times he's the one that came up with the hook as well so it's it's I think it's a much more balanced group than a lot of times yeah, it gets. And it's sad
3: when you, when you mention that too, right. It, it's sad. The fact that people again, are trying to stereotype or to fit people in boxes and like, Oh, well, how in the world can these two disparate personalities, you know, be friends? One is so gangster. And one just wants to be like dressed like Jimi Hendrix. And it's like, no man, like it's not as, it's not as, as simple as, as you want people to believe it to be.
1: Yeah. And they rode, I mean, you know, big boy rode with Andre, all the way through that run, I mean, yep. he kept up with him. And and the other thing that we didn't mention is it wasn't just that the first album was a mind blower; it's that then the next album freaked people's shit that yep. had already been into the the first one, and then the one after that does it again, yep. and the one after that does it again, and the one after that does it again. And and I think it's what happened to Andre vis a vis fame it parallels Dave Chappelle so much, and it talks. I think it says something about our era where the pressures of fame and the distortions uh, you know that comes back at you where it's impossible to create to to take in information and create in the way that you had done before and here's hey
3: off for the millionth time god damn it do you remember that like he was on soul <laughs> award show and he was like hey off for the millionth time god damn it here we go <laughs> yep.
1: yep yep i mean the sensitivity you need to be an artist is just does not you yeah, know work yeah, with 21st century yeah, celebrity yeah you know and that, so.
2: now i'm getting this now i'm getting this image of andre 3000 because he, he did a bunch of movies too yeah with all his movie money at home <laughs> and he's taking those hundred dollar bills and he's like wiping <laughs> away the tears because he's so sad kind of like me you know so yeah much <laughs> much like you if would it had be to be if money andre
3: 3000 money. Yeah. eugene Twenty cents.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's good. I, you know, I was going to reach and try to grab a dollar to illustrate that point, but I don't even have a dollar to grab. So. Probably send yeah. the business of,
1: out, out to my yeah. baby formula with your last, yeah. your last dollar. Uh, <laughs> no, there's no
2: formula here, man. We're going natural. So
1: so that's it for season three of Hip Hop Evolution. We'll be back next time to continue our discussion. We'll talk about season four, the first episode, which takes us to New Orleans, where we're going to talk about Master P and his empire. And Ah.
0: (laughs) Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. Next week, Nate will return with Eugene S. Robinson and Alexi Auld to continue their discussion of hip-hop evolution with Bounce to This, which covers New Orleans hip hop from Bounce to Master P and Juvenile. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Let It Roll is dedicated to the memory of Ed Ward, Russell Thomas, and Danny Park. Oh, <laughs>